kind of concluding uh, this series that we've been going through. And so next week, we're going to begin a brand new series. And I'm looking forward to that. Just some great things about the Christian life. But uh, today we're finishing uh, the book of James, and it's, uh, you know, this has been a great little study, and I, I don't know if I've ever really done this much of an in-depth study of the book of James, but the reason I like the study is because it's been a focus on being authentic in our Christian life. I think people need to see that we're real, uh, that we're not uh, some, uh, you know, Sunday-only type uh, Christian. I think every day of our lives we need to be authentic. Happy anniversary, Brother Greg. Uh-huh. <laughs> How many years, Brother Greg? How many years? Too many. That's not a good answer. <laughs> he, he might not live to see the next one. <laughs> Did you hear that, Petunia? The king would never say that to the queen, right? <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we'll pray for Brother Greg as we get started this morning, okay? But uh, we're talking this morning in James chapter number 5 about having an authentic attitude. I think it's a great way to finish for a couple of reasons. One is, is that, as my pastor said for many years, attitude determines altitude. And I think that's a great thought is, is whatever our attitude is, it's going to help us in our life as a Christian. But secondly, I think the reason why it's a good way to end this, this study is because that's the way that God chose to end this study in James chapter number 5. So this morning, let's take a look there. If you've got a copy of the outline there with you, you can follow along and have your Bible open there. But uh, again, this matter of an attitude dovetails into what really the subject is about, and it's about prayer this morning. Uh, this is something that is so important. True prayer brings us to God. Now think about that. Prayer brings us to God. It's really the way of life for a Christian is to spend time with God, and we do that through prayer. Somebody said prayer brings heaven's help to earth's needs. Heaven's help to earth's needs. And uh, we know that according to the scriptures in the book of Hebrews, that we have access, direct access. Aren't you glad for that? That Listen, when I was a child, I used to go into a confessional and, and basically share all my sin with a a man that was just as much of a sinner as I was, you say, I thought he was a priest. No, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, he might have had a Roman collar around his neck, but the, the, the thing is, I was so glad when I got saved and I came to realize I don't have to go into a confessional and, and, and pour out my, my sins and all the things in my life to some man and hope that it gets to God. I have direct access to God and here's the best part, through our great high priest, and his name is Jesus. Uh, we don't need, look, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And it's a wonderful thought as you think about praying and going to God in prayer and having the right attitude. So today we come to the end of this very practical book of the Bible in the book of James. And so look at chapter 5 and these closing verses, beginning in verse number 13. The Bible says, is there any among you afflicted? What would we answer to that? Yeah, there is, right? How about the next statement? He says here, uh, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is there any sick among you? Again, we know that there are, right? And so it says here, if there is any sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. A lot of people miss that statement there that this, there's a real 
thing right now about anointing people, but it says here, do it in the name of the Lord. And verse 15, and the prayer of what? Faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. By the way, when it, when it says there, and I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in this, when it, when it mentions confessing your faults one to another, there's a lot of thoughts there. And here's the thing is, I don't believe that we ought to go around airing out all our dirty laundry and, and publicly doing things like that. But I think if there is something between us and someone else, or if we have maybe someone that we have an accountability partner, uh, that is someone that we go to, that we, we pray with, we talk with, I think that's more of what the Bible is referring to here. Uh, I've seen some people, uh, look, if something is done, and you can read the Bible yourself, there is something known as public uh, sin, and then there's private sin. And uh, I think that if something is done publicly, then many times it needs to be dealt with publicly, but be done right. And then there is private sin where, again, it's private. Why make it public? Just take care of it. Make it right between either you and God or you and whoever it may be. And those are just some thoughts. Again, I can give you plenty to support that from the Word of God. But I've seen a lot of people destroy people's lives by not handling it the proper way and just just opening up a can of worms. And so we want to be careful about that. Now, it says here in verse number 17, look at this. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Would you say that Elijah had a prayer life? <laughs> I would say so. Uh, someone that could get a hold of God and, and, and withhold the rains to fall from heaven, that's the kind of prayer life that I want to have in my life. Uh, to get a hold of the ear of God. And the Bible says in verse number 18, he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bought, brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, it's interesting how James, again, we understand all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, how this book ends. Uh, some of the, the things that are discussed here. And so when you come to the end, I think what James, through, through the Holy Spirit of God, is trying to give us some biblical counsel. Uh, you know, I think it's so important that we understand the need in our lives for, listen, biblical counseling. So there's, the world offers all kinds of advice, but we get in trouble when we listen to the world. We get in trouble when we listen to a doctor, and listen, I'm, I'm not discounting that he's, he has an earned or she has an earned degree, a PhD. They might be an expert uh, in their field, but the question you need to ask is, are they spiritually minded? Do they know the Lord? Do, are they sharing the, the truths, the eternal truths of the Word of God? And so this morning, what James is doing is he's counseling us giving us some help here about this matter of having an authentic attitude or our prayer life. So notice three things that I think we need to pray for, and James addresses these in these verses. Look at the first one. 
We need to pray for strength. Pray for strength. Anybody else struggle to get up this morning? <laughs> I mean, every day it seems like, uh, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this day. I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. Uh, you know, I've been praying for Brother Tim and uh, just all that he's got going on. So many in our church just praying for God's strength in their life, that God would strengthen them and give them the ability to live for him day by day. And, and James is telling us here in verse 17, look at, he uses the example here of Elijah, and he says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So notice again, Elijah, when he prayed, he prayed earnestly, the Bible says here. And interesting, look at verse 18. This kind of caught my attention. He prayed again. I want you to keep that thought in your mind because remember, remember who the king was, the wicked king that Elijah stood off and went toe-to-toe -to -toe with? Anybody remember that king's name? Yeah, King Ahab, right? And, uh, of course, Ahab's wife was who? Jezebel, right? And uh, these, these were some wicked people, but remember, they were the king and the queen, and these were people that Elijah, now a lot of times we, we're like, well, you just don't understand my boss. Look, Elijah was dealing with Ahab. He was dealing with Jezebel. And the Bible says he prayed earnestly. I mean, he stood before this wicked king, and here's what he says. You know what, king? He says, it's not going to rain. Matter of fact, God's going to keep back the rain, he says, so that there will be no rain. He says, because of what's going on. Now, you can imagine when Elijah said that, that it's not going to rain. Can you imagine, can you hear the people laughing at him, mocking him? Now, a lot of times when we pray, if we pray earnestly, People are going to think, you know, I had a man say to me yesterday while I was witnessing to him while we were out knocking doors, and he says, you know, I've got a friend that says he's a Christian, and he prays about everything. He prays about a car to buy. He prays, and I looked at him, and I said, is there a problem with that? I said, my pastor used to pray that the shoes that he wore would go on sale so that he could buy a pair of shoes. And the guy looked at me and said, Really? And I said, yeah, I said, there's nothing wrong. I said, we need, we need to be people that praise. And look, you can only imagine how they mocked Elijah, but can you imagine what happened when it, started to, when it did finally start to rain? You know, it, it, just like he prayed. We, that's the kind of prayer life that we need to have. Every one of us need to be engaged in the ministry of prayer. And the one thing I see about Elijah is this, that he was persistent in prayer. You know how your kids are sometimes? Uh, maybe some of us have our uh, children a little bit more grown, but remember what they were like when they were little and they wanted something? They didn't ask you one time, did they? I mean, they just kept bugging you and trying to wear you down, right? Until you finally gave in, right? You're like, okay, be quiet. I'll get it for you, you know? That's not a good way to parent, but I'll tell you this. The one thing you knew from them was through their persistence, you knew they really, really wanted that. And you know that's exactly how we need to pray, is we need to just continue to bombard God with our prayers over and over again, and God will again hear 
I want you to look at this passage in 1 Kings chapter 18 there, and you know, look at here's a great example of what I'm talking about. The Bible says, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, and he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. Notice the next statement, and he said, go again. How many times? Seven times. So he's instructing his servant, while I'm praying to God, I want you to go look. He comes back, I want you to go look again. While his servant's going to look, what's Elijah doing? He continues to pray. He just continues to pray. He's persistent in his prayers, and the Bible says it came to pass at the seventh time. Now, we know that seven is the number of perfection, right, Brother Hector? And so, so Brother Hector's double seven. That's double perfection. But here's the thing is, is that understand that as you think about this, seven times. Now, I wonder sometimes when we don't get our prayers answered after the second or third time, do we keep praying? Are we persistent? Because remember, everything happens in God's timing, right? God doesn't work on our timetable. You know, look, I can schedule a revival meeting here at the church, but that doesn't mean God's going to show up just because I planned a meeting, right? So what I find here is that Elijah was persistent, and the Bible says on the seventh time as his servant went, he says, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down. And he says that the rain stopped thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now that's exactly what you and I need to do. Listen, is we need to pray, but listen, don't miss it. We need to pray again. We don't just need to pray, we need to pray again. And this is what we see here is that we should settle for nothing less than rain. Or in other words, let me put it this way, settle for nothing less than when God would open up the windows of heaven, when God would pour you out a blessing. Many times we stop short and James says, look, if you're going to have an authentic attitude, you can't just pray a little twinky prayer here and a little twinky prayer there. He says, you've got to have an attitude of prayer. You've got to have an authentic attitude. Remember, when you, when you study this passage and you look at the example that God gives us in his, in his word, remember, it's Elijah. And I know Elijah was the man that was on Mount Carmel and he stood against the prophets of Baal. But also remember that Elijah was the one that was running for his life a lot of times too. In other words, Elijah was only a man. Let me say that again. He was a great man, but he was only a man. And when I think about his life and my life, the emphasis was not on the prayer of Elijah. It was on the God who answered the prayer. See, that's the emphasis in your life too. I had a man, again, this man asked me yesterday, and he said to me, he says, so, so I don't really understand when things happen in people's lives, why does God allow that? And here's what I said to him, so that God would get the glory. 
That's what I told him. I said, we've had people in our church that have gone through things, and I've seen the evidence of the grace of God, and ultimately, it's not their suffering that's the emphasis. It's not what they're going through that's the emphasis. It's that God gets the glory out of what's happening in their lives. But see, we've got to understand that we need to pray for strength because just like Elijah, you know what we need? We need God's divine intervention. You know, do you like it when people butt into your business? Anybody like that? Most of us don't, do they? Let me ask you this question. How do you feel if God butts into your business? Different story, isn't it? You know why? Because... Everything about our lives is God's business. I, I try, I try to be a planned person, you know, and, and a lot of people are like, Pastor, you're just a little over the top when it comes to planning. But here's the thing is, is that I've always tried in my planning that if God decides to move something or to intervene or to put something in my schedule or in my way or in my day, that I gladly say, Lord, my plans don't matter, you know. And that's what Elijah, Elijah needed God's divine intervention in his life. You and I, we need it too. You know why? Because the Lord can change things and the Lord can change people. How many of you honestly believe God can change people? I hope every one of us believe that. God can change people. And, and you say, but you just don't understand this person that I'm dealing with. Pray for strength. Pray that God would. Look here, pray and pray again. God will give you the strength to face that. Look what Jesus said in John 14. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be, here it is, glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will what? I'll do it. In other words, you know what God's saying? I'll intervene. I will, I will come to your aid. Look at James 4.15, one chapter back. It says that ye ought to say, watch this, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So here's what Elijah did. Elijah prayed, and then he prayed again, and guess what happened? The rain came. God moved. That's what I want. And I'm sure that's what you want when you pray is you want God to do something. You want God to move. Look, if we don't want God to do something, why pray, right? But we want the Lord to work in our lives. Now, Jesus prayed. Remember, there were many times that Jesus prayed for Peter. I mean, he just, Peter is just one of those guys that needed prayer. And Jesus prayed for Peter. And as, as he prayed for Peter, it's important that we see that when Jesus prayed, what he was trying to help people under, Peter understand was, listen, he says, I'm praying for you, Peter, but he says, you need to make sure that your way is God's way. That whatever God's will is for your life, that's what you want. Look at, look at the verse here, Luke twenty two thirty two. 32. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, in other words, that you're strengthened, Peter, and look at this statement, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now let me ask you, look at that verse again. How many of you think at that time, how many of you think Peter was a saved man? I believe he was a saved man, right? Look at, look at the chapter, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32. I don't believe Peter was an unsaved man, 
But when you look at that statement, he says, when thou art converted. In other words, look, believers, you and I, if we are in Christ, we can't strengthen anyone else unless we have already been strengthened by the Lord. Let me say that again. I can't help somebody else as a Christian if I haven't already been strengthened by the Lord. Look, what, what can I give to them if I haven't received of the Lord myself? Are you guys with me this morning? We have to be strengthened by the Lord. Look, I can't give something to someone, but in the power of His might, God can strengthen me so that I can strengthen someone else. I've made hospital calls before, and I've gone into hospital rooms where, where the, you know, they're going through whatever they're going through physically. There's some mental there. There's emotional that is there, and there is spiritual that is there. And I walk in, and look, it's not like I walk in with a briefcase and I open it up and I just make everything better. No, I walk in with the love of God, the joy of the Lord, maybe my Bible in my hand, and what I do is I try to strengthen them. You know why? Because I've spent some time with the Lord before I go to the hospital saying, Lord, they need something from you. Help me to help them. And I think it's a great concept here is that you and I, we need to be strengthened. Now, the, ver the word that he uses with Peter in Luke twenty two thirty two. look at it again. He says, when thou art converted. Now, you look it up. Here's what that word means. Changed. It's not salvation. Because Peter's already saved. He says, when thou art converted. In other words, Peter, look, you're struggling in your life. You need to be strengthened. He says, when, when you have received strength from me, when you've been changed, Peter, when, when, you, when you've received from me what you need for your life, then you will be able to go and help other people. Are you getting it this morning? We need to pray for strength. Peter needed that in his life. He, look, do you think that Elijah when he stood against Ahab? Absolutely. You know, can you imagine messing, uh, going toe-to-toe -to -toe and, and, and being confronted by Jezebel? And, and Elijah needed strength, but guess what? Peter and you and I, we need strength. And here's the thought is, is that God brings in this passage the attention to himself. Well, how does God do that? He does it through using sickness and physical tragedy. Again, I, I had a lengthy conversation with a man yesterday, and, and one of the things that he asked me, and you, you ever have somebody, they, they talk to you about something, and, and you can tell they're not just pulling some example out of the air. It's something that's happened in their life, right? You had that happen to you? And this man's talking to me about, again, he wasn't a believer. He's asking me about, uh, you know, why does God allow people to have cancer? And he began to share some things with me. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, have you had family members that have gone through cancer? And he says, my, my mom and dad. So it was very personal to him. And, and I, I just began to try to help him understand that God, that sickness comes into our lives for many reasons. One of the verses that we read here talks about that in verse number 15, it says, if he have committed sins. And I told him, I said, sometimes sickness is one of the effects of sin. I said, now, there's a verse in the Bible that says the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. But I said to him, I said, it, it, the effects of sin, I said, if you go back to the book of Genesis, which we're going to be in this morning, I said, if you go back to the book of Genesis, I said, because they disobeyed God, 
the woman was told that she was going to have travail in childbirth and the man was going to sweat by the toil of his brow. That uh, Again, it, it, a lot of people think that the effect of what they did was that God made man work. No, God always intended man to work. But it was, it was the effects of that, and that's what I was trying to help him understand. When we look at this passage here today, it's interesting how God is he's addressing this matter of the, the, an authentic attitude of prayer. But what he does is he uses this to where he tries to, us, to help us to see that the attention is not on the sickness, it's on God and how God can accomplish his will. And so that man looked at me and he says, so you're telling me it was God's will that my parents got cancer? I mean, we had quite an interesting conversation. Uh, Brother Mike and Brother Gusslet were going up the street. They finished the rest of the street, and I saw Brother Kenny come by with a van, and, and I was still sitting there talking to the man. And, and I wouldn't have stayed if the man would have just been argumentative. I really believe that the Lord wanted me to talk to this man to try to help him understand why. Now, look, I don't, I don't get it all. I don't, you know, I'm not God. I don't understand why things happen to some people but I was trying to help him understand that, that in our lives, God is trying to accomplish his will. And so here's the example that I used, because you remember the story about uh, in the Bible about the Apostle Paul. Many of us know that after he got saved, all the things that Paul went through, right? Remember how he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, all the things that Paul went through. But the one thing that, that I brought up to him was this, how the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, my strength, is made perfect in what? In weakness. Most gladly, boy, you ought to underline those words, Paul says, most gladly, while he was going through this trial, while he was going through this situation, he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure, Paul says. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessity. Look, I'm not going to sit around and boo-hoo and woe is me, Paul said. He says, look, I understand that God is trying to accomplish his will in my life, and this is what he's using, and he says here, when I am weak, then am I what? Yeah, so look here, the when and the then. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. You know why? Because when I'm weak, when I'm at the end of my rope, when I'm at the end of myself, the only place I can go to is to the Lord. And he says, when I go to him, guess what he does? He strengthens me. So James says, look, if we're going to be an authentic Christian, we've got to pray for strength. We've got to pray and pray again. Pray again. Now look again at what, uh, I don't know if you caught it there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 again, when Paul says there, there was given to him, notice it was given to me. Who gave Paul that, as the Bible records it, thorn in the flesh? Who gave that to Paul? Yeah, the Lord did, right? So look, God will not tempt us for evil, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. Paul says, that's why I can glory in that. Look, I don't have a problem with it because I know that this is what God's brought in my life. Folks, 
We need to pray for strength, and then we need to pray again. All right? Look at the second thing is we need to pray for the sick. In verse 13, is there any among you that are afflicted? Let him pray. He says in verse 14, if there are any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Now, look, we, we find here a real need. There is a person described here as someone that is sick or afflicted. And the question is, how do we deal with this? Uh, because there's sick people among us. We've got folks in our church. We prayed for some this morning. There's some in this auditorium that we've been praying for you. So how do we handle this? People that are sick, people that are afflicted. It's simple. The Bible tells us begin in prayer. Just pray. Well, who do you pray to? You pray to God. Why? Because God can do all things, right? I hope you believe that, that God can do all things. Paul prayed, and listen, remember, it wasn't God's will for him to be healed. God chose to allow that thorn to remain in his life. But I can tell you this, that as I have lived for the Lord, I believe with all my heart that there is a divine healer. And his name is Jesus. You know, there's people today that pass themselves off as a healer. But again, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck about it, if they really have the gift of healing, why don't they go to the hospitals? Why don't they stand outside of, of uh, eyeglass places and put them out of business? You know, it's kind of interesting. You'll see a faith healer, and he'll be, he'll be standing there on television talking about how he can heal people, and he's wearing glasses. You know, physician, heal thyself, right? <laughs> so you see this a lot. But look at look what the Bible says in Exodus 15. Great verse here in verse 26. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that does what? That healeth thee. He says, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all our iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. I'm glad for medicine, and I think it's got its place. I know there are some religious organizations that don't believe in going to the doctor and so on, and I, I honestly, I don't make fun of people if that's, if that's their desire. I just try to stay as biblical and scriptural as I can, but I do think there are times that we, we, we can avail ourselves to that. But I know this, that scientists can learn how God created our bodies to function, and they derive therapies to help restore or cure our bodies, but they are not, listen, they are not healers. They're not. Scientists are not. I've seen people, uh, Brother Gabriel Smith, I'm, I'm really excited because uh, he's, uh, he's about, I, I believe, just a couple weeks maybe from coming back to our church. He's been gone for months and months, and his wife's been by his side, and he's been going through a, a really traumatic, uh, aggressive cancer and had, had some, uh, some uh, stem cells, uh, replacements, things like that. He's just been going through a lot of things, and he, he just emailed me the other day, and he says, I went in for my checkup with the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, he says, I can't find anything. Now, again, the doctors did some things, but I believe it is God and the faith that they have that is healing Gabriel Smith. And many of you have been praying for him. Can I tell you this morning 
that God is the healer. The doctors simply cooperate with God's original intent and design that he has. The Bible records that we need the divine healer. Look what happened when a couple of the, the followers of Christ, they had a friend that had the palsy. And they wanted to get their friend, they, they, they wanted their friend. Sounds to me like good friends, right? And the Bible says in Mark 2, 3, they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Now, why would they bring their friend that has the palsy to Jesus? Because they believed if we can get him to Jesus, that Jesus can heal him of his diseases. And I think about John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And, and I'm, I love the fact that the Lord allows things in our lives. Listen, God might allow a sickness. He might allow an illness into our lives. But you know what that ought to do? It ought to prompt us to pray to Him, to go to Him for strength. Uh, there's a God in heaven that does want to hear us. And there's a God in heaven that does want to answer your prayers. One verse that I always think about is 2 Chronicles 7.14. Look at this. If my people, this is talking to unsaved people, this is the people of God. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their lands. See, God wants to hear from us. God wants us to pray for strength. He wants us to pray for the sick. And then notice the last thing that I see here is number three, we need to pray in sympathy. Pray in sympathy. Now, what I mean by that is this, that we need to pray in harmony, that we need to be in agreement when somebody is going through a difficult time. Look at verse 14. It says, If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, let, him, let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. If he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, th there's evidence here in verse 14 that there was a group of folks that were called upon to go and pray and anoint with oil. Now, again, there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to something like this. If you study the Bible, here's what you find. Oil in the Word of God represents the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, you understand here that it represents the Holy Spirit. Today, God still anoints His people, but He doesn't do it with oil. He does it with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what we need to understand is, is that, listen, when I stand to teach or preach, I need the anointing of God. I don't need some oil. I need the Holy Spirit of God. And again, it's symbolic. Look, do you remember when we take the Lord's table? We take the bread and juice. We don't believe that's the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? It's symbolic, okay? It represents his broken body, his shed blood. And that oil represents the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, his anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Exodus 30, verse 30. Thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest office that they shall speak unto the children of Israel saying this shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations upon man's flesh shall it not be poured neither shall ye make any other like it after the uh, composition of it it is holy and it shall be holy unto you 
Now, I think when you look at what the Bible says, I think that you can find that there can be a cooperation between something that is done physically and something that is done by God miraculously. For instance, uh, uh, some of the deacons and I, we went when uh, Sister Chris Libran was really in her last days, we went to the hospital and we, we had a time where we anointed her with uh, some oil and we had a word of prayer, a prayer of faith over her. And this is what we see in the Word of God, that, that when we emphasize, sometimes here's what happens is the emphasis is more on the oil than it is on the God that is the one that can heal, he that healeth thee of all thy diseases. So in this passage in James chapter 5, here's what God does. He doesn't want there to be a confusion when it comes to this oil. And so here's what he says. Look at this. The prayer of, what's it say? The prayer of faith. Let's say that. The prayer of what? Faith. See, look, folks, we have to understand that it is our faith. Remember, the Bible talks about it can move mountains. Look what it says in Matthew 9, 2. This goes back to that same passage in Mark 3 where it deals with their, their, the, the, the friends that, that tried to get their friend to Jesus. And the Bible says, And behold, they brought a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus seeing their what? He saw their faith. Now look, what does faith look like? You know? Remember, it's the evidence of things not seen, right? So there had to be some evidence. If you study that passage, remember what they did? They tore the roof off of the building. And can you imagine being in church and all of a sudden somebody starts tearing the roof off of our church? And all of a sudden you see this guy being lowered down right in the middle of our service? And you'd be like, what in the world? You know, they're tearing our roof off. Go call the police. No, they had that much faith. The house was full. They couldn't get him to Jesus, so they went up on the roof and they, they tore the roof off of the house and lowered him down. You had to know that inconvenienced some people that because the place was so full, so packed, but that's how much faith that they had. We've got to get him to Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. Jesus saw their faith. We need to pray in, in harmony. We need to be agreeing in feelings. Look, as we conclude this passage, it, we come back to verse number 16 and 17 where it talks about Elijah. And the Bible tells us that Elijah was a man that prayed in faith. He was a man that prayed. And look what, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, he was writing to the church in Corinth. And here's what he said. There's a great door, and look at the word, effectual, is open unto me. Now, the word effectual means that there will be results. Let me say it again. The word effectual, it means that there are going to be results. Remember, the Bible says the, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? So when we pray, we pray believing that God is going to do what He can right? Because we can't do anything about it. I can't change it. I can't change Brother Tim's back, but I believe God can. I believe that if I pray that God could touch Brother Tim's back, that God can help all of us that are going through some difficult times. And the Bible says that we need to pray an effectual prayer, asking God to do what only he can. But the problem is, is many times our prayers become habitual. There's no depth to them. There's no substance. Listen, if I can put it this way, there's no desperation in our prayers. 
We're not praying effectually. And then how about this? The effectual fervent prayer. What's the word fervent mean? Listen to this. It means boiling, hot, glowing. The effectual, I believe something's going to happen because God's going to do something. It's, it, it's something that is, is boiling. God's going to allow things in our lives. But here's, here's what we need to remember is because God is working. We know that all things work together, right? So when we pray, we need our prayers need to be passionate. And it's interesting how when you look at this little book in our New Testament of our Bible, it begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. You know why? Because God says prayer is the key. And if we're going to be an authentic Christian, we have got to be a praying Christian. So look, how about we pray for strength? How about we pray for the sick? And notice here, we need to pray in sympathy, in cooperation, having the same feeling for those that are sick and afflicted among us. We need to pray earnestly, we need to pray, be praying effectually, and we need to be praying fervently. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for this tremendous book in our Bible. Thank you for the admonition we receive from it. I pray that our prayer life would be real, and it would be genuine, authentic. Lord, thank you for what you have spoken to us even today about. Lord, use your word to help us to pray for one another. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.